It's a huge day on Locked on NBA. I'm David Locke, host of Locked on NBA, and we're joined by the commissioner, Adam Silver. An 11-minute sit-down conversation with commissioner Adam Silver. First, we'll look through last night's big night of the NBA, where the old guard reminded us what we once knew is still true. And we'll react to the Silver comments about expansion, about the impact of gambling on the league, the idea of Euro Cups, and other topics with the commissioner of the NBA. It's coming up on the Locked On Podcast Network on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. How are you? Thanks for tuning in to Locked On NBA. I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, host of Locked On Jazz, founder of the Locked On Podcast Network. As is always the case with our daily Locked On NBA format, done so well by the other guys. We'll give you a little run-through of what happened in the NBA last night on what was an important, busy eight-game night. And then we'll be joined by our guest, Commissioner Adam Silver. And in segment three, I'll give you a brief reaction to what I thought he said that was important. And uh, hope you uh, will share in that conversation if anything jumps out to you. Uh, you can hit me on Twitter at Locked On Sports. All right, let's look at last night's action. The theme of last night is what we once knew was true is still true again. Cleveland falls way behind to Toronto. They allow 70-plus points in the first half. You're convinced the terrible defense is the story. And then LeBron James does LeBron James. 35 points, 7 rebounds, 17 assists last night on 11 of 19 shooting with Kevin Love back. Love drops 23 and 12. George Hill, who will improve greatly as he slides down in level of importance on that team, uh, gets them 22 points on a remarkable 10 of 11 shooting day. And Cleveland wins last night in Toronto. And they kind of, other than George Hill, they really did it with their old crew. Rodney Hood's out. Jordan Clarkson had 21 minutes, but only two of seven shooting. And Cleveland wins against Toronto, 132-129 in, you don't want to overplay it, but in a game in which, you know, it's kind of just a brief reminder that he is LeBron. He is, though James Harden has obviously made his claim, the best player in the NBA. And, you know, he's been averaging 30-10-10 for some time now, having this remarkable season, and... That that was just that was just a shot over the bow of we don't care whether we have home court, we don't care whether we're playing where we're playing you, but we still have LeBron and Toronto should be a little nervous. It was in Cleveland, so it's not as big a deal as winning in Toronto, but I thought it was you know, and they still allowed hundred and twenty nine points, so you're still dealing with a team that's not defending. And if you look at the last fifteen games, you know, Cleveland's defense is still over 110 points per 100 possessions allowed, near a little below the middle of the pack. Uh, so, But it was a big one. Philadelphia continues to just do what they're supposed to do with their soft schedule late. They win 119-105 over Memphis. And Philadelphia keeps trying to see if they can work themselves toward home court advantage. They had six players in double figures and a nice balanced outing. Uh, Bellinelli giving them 16 as he's been a nice addition uh, to who they are. The Charlotte beat Brooklyn in a game that has no impact on anything other than that Dwight Howard stunned the world uh, and showed that he still has something. 32 points and 30 rebounds last night uh, for Dwight Howard against the centerless 
Brooklyn Nets. Miami won 119-98 over New York. And then the Western Conference got the best of the Eastern Conference time and time again with huge playoff impact. Indiana went on the road, defended as they have. They're the third best defensive team in the league last 20 games, uh, but couldn't get the win uh, in New Orleans, Victor Oladipo won three of seven from three. Only reason I mention that is since All-Star break, he's been below 30% from three. And so maybe he's getting that back. Anthony Davis, a big night, 28 and 13. Uh, Etwan Moore had 23. New Orleans wins it 96-92. New Orleans has done a wonderful job in this playoff push of stealing games you might not think they would win. Uh, that one was probably a little bit uh, 50-50-ish uh, with Indiana, but New Orleans even without DeMarcus Cousins showing very good playoff viability and consistency, which is bad news for Denver and L.A., the Clippers and the Nuggets, except for both of them won last night. Denver bounced back with a road win, 135-102 over Chicago. Their offense still does incredible things. They lost that double overtime game against Miami, the most points scored in the league. And then the Clippers went to Milwaukee and won. DeAndre Jordan, since Blake Griffin's departure, has been just simply remarkable. 25 points, two rebound, 22 rebounds, 25-22, and four assists. Uh, they got Austin Rivers had 22. Tobias Harris, consistently solid, 18. Uh, Taya Dosich did his work. Milwaukee started Jason Terry in this game. They are just searching right now. Milwaukee is in the... 37 and 34 in the eighth seed over the last 15 games their defense is the only teams playing less well defensively than Milwaukee are the Brooklyn Nets Chicago Bulls Phoenix Suns Denver Nuggets Minnesota Timberwolves and New York Knicks Uh, nothing Milwaukee to me is one of those teams in which something's not what we think it is and what I mean by that is somebody in the group some player is not as good as we think it is. We, when when it was Jason Kidd, you were able to say, well, it's because Jason Kidd uh, is doesn't know what he's talking about, or do, you know, not, not that he doesn't know what he's talking about doesn't doesn't know how to scheme. And Ben Falk wrote that great analysis piece at CleanTheGlass.com about how the way they structure their defense, trying to force turnovers, puts them in such a bind, uh, and the amount of turnovers they have to force to be successful. Some of that system has changed, and yet still Milwaukee's not very good defensively. Uh, Giannis only played 17 minutes last night, so that's, you know, they weren't at their peak yesterday. Uh, but it just, to me, that's a team where what my reaction to that is, okay, something's not quite what we think it is. Somebody in that group uh, is probably not as good as as we presume. And honestly, I don't know who that is. Uh, Giannis sprained his ankle in the second quarter. So we'll see uh, when he returns. And it doesn't really matter. They're going to be the eighth seed. It's funny, is despite everything I just said, I would also tell you, I think they could be a real threat to Toronto. Giannis is so great that you feel as though they could, that they could, give Toronto problems in the first round of that 8-1 seed. And then the final, uh, the old guard standing back up to remind us once what once was is again. San Antonio had a six-game homestand 
where they came into the homestand 10th in the Western Conference. They truly needed to win five of the six to be in the playoff race with the brutal schedule they have coming up, and they have won five straight. LaMarcus Aldridge has averaged 30 points during the homestand. He had 27 last night. They beat Washington 98-90. to uh, I always love looking at box scores against San Antonio because they're so well-prepared. The first thing I always look at is the opponent's shot distribution. And then the second one is there's always guys that had a bad night, which means that somehow San Antonio knew something was wrong with their game and they got them into that area. So the first is shot distribution. Kelly Oubre had 17 shot attempts last night. Otto Porter had 13. Bradley Beal had 13. There's no way Washington wanted that. That's what San Antonio does to you. And then Sadoransky was 0 for 8. So they go back and watch the Washington-San Antonio game if you want to know the flaw in Sadoransky's game because that's how well-prepared the Spurs are every night is they expose you, put you in a position where you're not as successful and make you try to make plays you probably can't make. And the second one is they get the, the wrong person to shoot all the time. That's what's so awesome about what's going on in San Antonio. All right, that is the uh, quick run through last night. I thought it was an important thing to do. Uh, and that is the signature of the show, Locked On NBA, the daily podcast that gives you the bite-sized look at what's going on in the NBA, easily digestible for you. Anthony and Adam will look at the six games that are taking place tonight for you tomorrow and some big-picture items every Friday. Coming up next is Commissioner Adam Silver. Commissioner Adam Silver is with us, and thank you very much for the time. I think the signature this season has been, in a divisive world, you have allowed your players' voices to be heard. How much of a gamble do you feel that is, and what is allowing you to do that? Well, first of all, it's, it's, I'm not sure I would characterize it as allowing them. I think our players um, are going to speak out on issues that are important to them, in, in, in part because it's been a tradition in this league you know, I was. I mentioned this when I was in Los Angeles for the All Star Game. Bill Russell happened to be sitting there when I had my press conference, and I remember doing some research on this issue. That 55 years ago, 1963, All Star Game had been in L.A. He had been the MVP, and that summer he stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial when Dr. King gave his iconic "I Have a Dream" speech. So that's nothing new in this league. And, and again, I think it's a little bit part of the DNA uh, of that's passed on from player to player. In addition. I, I look at the core values of this league, especially one. I feel we have a responsibility. 25% of our players come from outside the United States, and I think a, a, an American's ability, somebody living in this country's ability to speak out on issues that are important to them is something that we should be supportive of, and, and I've had that conversation directly with players. It doesn't mean that um, they don't also need to be respectful at the same time. I think that comes with wearing an NBA uniform and also you know, make sure that they're that their platforms they're speaking on are, are appropriate and that it's not interfering with their playing the game. But but I, I think there's an added benefit for our fans that they see these young men are truly multidimensional. And, and I recognize, to your point about risk, not everyone's going to agree with everything they say. Certainly I don't agree with everything our players say. But I'd like to believe that, you know, for the rest of our fan base, cer- certainly those people here in the United States, that – they are supportive of them expressing political views, cultural views, just like they would be of any American. I went back today and actually listened to an old interview, and I did, and one of the things you said was, I would like to have more than one trophy. I'd like to, so what is your vision on cups, and when do you think it can ever happen? And, you know, I'm, you've done your research. I mean, it, it, again, um, 
I, I continue to covet, you know, uh, other leagues, especially when I look at international soccer, where there's more things to play for than just one championship trophy. So it, back in the league office, we've looked at midseason tournaments. We've looked at playoff um, playing tournaments. Um, I, I would just say we're still studying it. You know, I, I'm, I'm balancing it against tradition. And I, you, I think there, were, there was a there was a period there where people thought the All-Star game had outlived its usefulness, but then it bounced right back this year. And I think that came with a tweak of sorts where, you know, we, we changed the format, had captains, um, created a little different incentive for the players uh, um, to, to go to, to, to be more competitive on the floor. And, and I thought it really worked. So we're, we're, we're sticking with All-Star um, now. I think in terms of other tournaments, um, it's I, you know we're we're, we're going to study things. We're going to look at other. We're, we're especially looking at other things around how teams move into the playoffs. Maybe that's also a way to deal with the the rebuilding issue that's become so prominent in the league now. But if, no, nothing to announce yet. You've been forward thinking in regards to gambling. If you do get involved with gambling the way it's been talked about, do you have to eliminate anything that incentivizes losing? That that's a that's a great question. I mean. The, the problem is, if you put it that starkly, that any time you have a draft that rewards a team for poor performance, and reward by meaning the per- very purpose of the draft as we have it is to help the poorest performing teams restock with the best incoming players, I guess I can't answer that question affirmatively that we can eliminate anything. I think, though, that to the extent sports betting comes becomes legal, widespread in the United States, not just in Nevada that we're going to have to especially focus on a lot of these integrity issues and that you know it's and it, it doesn't just go to those people who will be who will be betting on the games legally betting on the games but it's something that goes to the heart of what a sports league is about and that's competition now the only my hesitation a little bit too is you know putting aside tanking I'll say the word which to me suggests players or coaches are intentionally losing games and I think if if I, as the commissioner, ever thought that was what was actually happening on the floor. Of course, we'd step in. But then there is a legitimate rebuilding. You see it in lots of businesses where an organization says, we need to bring in new talent. It's going to take time to develop and train them. Or we have some existing talent, and as you see sometimes in the league with young players that aren't getting a lot of minutes. So I'm not about to penalize a team for trading away a veteran to get draft picks because that's how the league works. So, so finding calib- finding and calibrating this is, is not an exact science, but um, we'll even have to spend that much more time focused on it if sports betting becomes legal. That's a great point because – tanking is just macro winning and versus micro winning on that night but the problem is you could never have a sports book that takes a game off the board that would look so bad that you would have to avoid that setting let's let's move to the next generation i had a friend come into town the other day from seattle where they don't have a team his fans his son's a huge fan he's 16 years old he saw two games on christmas and he absorbed all of his other content from youtube instagram and everything else how do we work ourselves so that we support these fans and how do they alter the game as they move into the primary generation you know a, a, another great question I, I, 
you know, I continue to believe there's no substitute for the live broadcast of our game. And at least so far, although people have been predicting the demise of live sports with the availability, the mass availability of highlights, at least in the NBA, it's worked the opposite direction. Our ratings are up. Our ratings have been up over the last few years. And what we're seeing is to use a sort of a snacks and meals metaphor is that the fans seem, certain group of fans seem content to snack in essence on highlights but they still want meals and the meals are the live game so we still hold those live game broadcasts pristine meaning that if someone's pirating a live game stream we'll obviously go after them and get them to shut it down on the other hand we've embraced youtube we've embraced twitter and these other platforms that make our highlights available now there's a sort of separate issue in terms of a next generation that's cutting the cord on cable and satellite television and is getting their programming elsewhere i think we're going to have to go directly to them. I think it would be foolhardy to sit around and just keep our fingers crossed and hope that they keep their cable and satellite subscriptions. Um, they are That new generation is consuming, and, and they just cross lines where now they're consuming a majority of their programming on their phones rather than through television sets. So one of the things we have to do is bring our games directly to them. We do that through League Pass right now. We're in discussions with our primary U.S. carriers, with ESPN and TNT, about how we're going to make their games available um, to consumers on their phones because they're looking at the same issues. In fact, you know, the, the deal hasn't been approved yet right now, and it's, it's in the courts, but it's got to be a large part of the reason why AT&T is, uh, you know, acquiring Time Warner just so they can have that content to, to make it available to, to cell phone subscribers. So everyone's watching their cell phones. You said it a moment ago, 25% of players are international. We'll tip off here in Salt Lake at 7 o'clock tonight. If a Rudy Gobert fan wants to see him, it's 2 a.m. If a Milwaukee Bucks are tipping off at 7 and a Giannis fan wants to see him, I think it's 3 a.m. When do we start tipping off at 11 a.m. so that the fan in Paris can see a 7 o'clock game? Well, well, by the way, remember at the same time, it's it's prime time commute time in China. <laughs> you know, it's the morning there. I, I, I would have never said that when I first got in the league 26 years ago. And these time zones are certainly not convenient for Europe, but we have a huge audience in Asia which watches these games in the morning when they get up or when they're commuting to work. In terms of Europe, though, I, you know, I, I don't want to be too glib about that because it's a real issue. And in the old days, certainly when I first got involved in the league, and as you know, I ran NBA Entertainment years ago, the, the vast majority of fans in Europe, there wasn't a real internet, and they would watch games in primetime the following night. So we had a bigger audience in primetime than we do today because that world's over. You can't turn the clock back. Nobody's going to watch a game that happened 18 hours before. One of the things we potentially could do for our European fans, and this is something we're thinking about in the league office, is maybe teams once a month will play in the afternoon. You know, and so, and if you, we have enough teams in the league where you could put together a schedule so there would always be somebody playing in prime time or at least multiple nights a week. We do that on the weekends now, for example. We have an afternoon package. You know, if you, across the league, there's always someone playing in the afternoon. We can schedule it that way so there can at least be a prime time game. But, you know, in terms of if you're a fan of a particular team, we clearly can't, you know, we're, we're a long ways away, you know, or I, I don't even foresee a day where we wouldn't, in essence, be playing in primetime in the United States. But that's, it's, it's the other side of the coin of having a product that people want to watch live is that you could lose a lot of sleep being a Rudy Gobert fan. <laughs> Final two questions for you. Is Mexico City a viable NBA city? Mexico City... I believe can be a viable uh, NBA city. We've played several regular season games there mid-season. They have a beautiful arena in Mexico City. Obviously, a huge and growing fan base, um, the city of 22 million, you know, and then it would open up 
arguably a whole country to us in the way that Toronto has done for Canada. So it's something we continue to look at. It would need to be bargaining with the players. It's not about to happen in the next two or three years. But over time, I, I would see that as a great market to potentially expand to. Final one. Do you have a feel yet of what you're, you want your legacy to be? I don't. You know, I, I, I honestly, it's not something I've ever focused on. And, and I've been with the league for 26 years now. I mean, I, I think I'm very fortunate to be in this position. I think it's it's a privilege. And what I want to make sure is that we continue to grow this league to really, you know, sort of enable us to, to reach our, 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 our true, you know, goals, which is to be you know, the most popular sport in the world. I look right now, you know, soccer is the number one sport in the world. Basketball is number two. And I, if I can continue us on that path to see basketball potentially being the number one sport in the world, I think I'll have done a good job. I asked someone this question. They thought that your answer would be the diversity of the voices and people you're bringing into management and positions of authority in the league. But, but I feel like diversity and inclusion are a means to an end. I mean, I think for anybody who's listening to this, anybody who's part of an organization this year, I don't think that should be celebrated just for its own right. I mean, for example, you could have great diversity and inclusion and have an unsuccessful business, you know. And so I, I do think it's a key element of having a successful business these days and that putting aside legal issues or ethical or ethical issues, businesses that are not diverse and inclusive do so at their own peril. I mean, I, you, you're cutting off a huge pool of potential employees. And I also find, even in my own decision-making, being in a room full of diverse um, uh, colleagues makes a big difference in how I see the world. But I don't. I, I think that unto itself should not be the goal. It, sh- it should be used to, to help your business grow even faster and better. Thank you for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you very much to Commissioner Adam Silver for his time in that interview. First off, he's such a a, a great leader to our league and, and a wonderful man. Uh, I wanted to take a moment or two in some of the things I thought were, were most newsworthy. Uh, first, I think the Cups is very real. Uh, that is something he has talked about for a long time. Uh, it is something he said they are studying. When he says that, that means there's a committee of, of people that are looking at it. I thought it was interesting that he led with midseason. Uh, I actually think the answer on the Cups would be a preseason international. Uh, my vision would be that you take, have, you'd have to have 32 teams. Um, I guess you could do it otherwise, but it would be easier if you had 32 teams and you take eight pods of four and take them to different eight different spots across the country or across the world where you return to each year. So you have the Barcelona Cup and you have the Paris Cup and you have the South African Cup and you have the Beijing Cup and you have, you know, you, the Brazilian Cup and maybe the Sydney Cup and the the Rome Cup. You got it. You can, you know, the Moscow Cup and you find the eight places that you host year in and year out, and groups of four go and play a four-game tournament there, uh, and somebody wins that short little cup. Uh, It's clear to me what they're looking at was that the All-Star game was on the brink of extinction and that some sort of mid-season cup was the answer instead. Uh, that'll, That'll be a hard one for the league to get established, but I think it's probably worthwhile. You know, at some point you have to build and try to do something new and it won't be like winning the NBA title, but the idea of having more than one thing to win probably has some value. I think the NBA made a mistake 
the devaluing of divisions in in the and I think I didn't ask him about the playoff situation. Um, I hear that's not as prominent an idea uh, thought as is being talked about. The I, I think you should be valuing the divisions. If you're valuing the divisions, you could have divisional cups and then devaluing conferences and having the next 10 playoff teams in with your six divisional winners would be a better way for this league to be heading uh, than it is. So I thought the, the first newsworthy thing there is that that did seem to be coming. Mexico City is on their radar, clearly. I believe he said, um, I believe Mexico City can be a viable uh, NBA city. It would open up a whole country to us. That's the desire, clearly, is to get to Mexico City. The way that impacts the rest of expansion is significant. It means that I, I think that your the league is less likely to expand right now until Mexico City is ready. He says it's not happening for the next two or three years. But what's clear to me here is that Mexico City is a major priority. You don't want to go add Seattle and Kansas City, Seattle and Vancouver, um, or something of that sort, and then have Mexico City become ready. Uh, My guess is that over the next decade, what we see in the NBA is that we see a franchise move to Seattle and we feel like uh, that once you have the franchise, a franchise, I don't know who, moves to Seattle, we stabilize at 30, and then when Mexico City's ready, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's not a Vancouver, Mexico City edition. Uh, just kind of a whole becoming really North America's league uh, at that point. Uh, so that the, the, that's my guess. Uh, no inside knowledge, but that's my guess on how that uh, comes out. I thought it was really interesting that he said that the majority of fans are now consuming programming through their phones. His snacks and meals analogy was an interesting one. I wonder whether that holds over time. You have to be careful and make sure that suddenly not only people are snacking uh, on things. And his comment that he just believes that the the activism is the core of the league, that um, it's what Bill Russell was about. And the contrast between what Adam Silver and Roger Goodell have done in the last year is stunning. Uh, the NBA basically has allowed their asked their players are standing at the anthem and being respectful to the anthem, which you know, in depending on your opinion, is either a very large issue or not. Uh, and then have been very outspoken and active in the communities uh, in the areas that they have chosen to be with full blessing of the league. Where the contrast is obviously that the anthem became the uh, pinpoint of all demonstration in the NFL, and then they've been somewhat muted outside of that. Uh, so very contrasting approach uh, to the athletes and how they've been treated and what the door has been opened to in each circumstance. Hope you enjoyed Commissioner Adam Silver. Adam and Anthony will be back with you tomorrow to digest that night of NBA, and they always have some big-picture topic going on. Then Josh Lloyd back with you on Mondays as he will uh, take you through the biggest stories with local experts. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.